Hi, you're listening to an older episode. The podcast is now called Travel Writing World. You can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com. This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to All Over the Place, a podcast on travel, culture, and the creative life. This episode takes us to Valencia, Spain, where I speak with Christian Allier, founder and director of the two travel companies, Life Break Adventures and Study Abroad Association, about cultivating authentic travel experiences, tips on connecting with locals, and musings on solo travel. So without further ado, I bring you Christian Allier. Christian, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me. How, how are you doing? I'm doing well today. I'm uh, I'm here in uh, in Valencia, Spain. Great, great. Can you, um, for the listeners, tell us a little bit about who you are and and what it is that you do? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Christian Allier. I'm the director of the Study Abroad Association, the founder of the Study Abroad Association, and um, a couple other travel companies. But uh, basically. What I do is I work with schools, universities, and independent travelers to make incredible uh, trips and experiences around the world. Very good. And you're based in Valencia, Spain, as you mentioned. And is that is that your hub? Do you uh, or do you work in other areas around the world or Europe? Yeah. So we. Um, I, I'm currently. I always say, you know, I'm 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 paying rent in Valencia, Spain. Myself and my, my team were were quite nomadic. So. Uh, we're either leading groups or um, going and scouting new destinations often. So, uh, for example, last last year I was on the road for about eight months out of the um, out of the year. I think it was thirty weeks or something like that, thirty two weeks. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm currently based in Valencia and I'm liking it more every day. The weather's incredible here. It's got a great airport. People are super friendly, as you know, the Spaniards. Um, so yeah, I think I think this will become my long term base. But I'm always coming back to the states every couple months. You'd mentioned your team. Uh, about how big is your team? Currently, we have um, seven, um, seven full-time uh, staff members on, on you know, monthly salary who are assisting with logistics and things like this, program development, um, which, is, which is a big increase um, compared to uh, you know, a few years ago. It was just uh, two of us and um, but we have a we have a global network of awesome guides and group leaders who are, you know, our family as well. That probably makes up somewhere anywhere between twenty and fifty people that we that we work with on a continual basis uh, around the globe. Sounds, uh, I guess, from the last time one of the last times we spoke, uh, it seems like your your team is is growing and your reach your reach is growing. Do you? Um, I guess provide study abroad opportunities for people outside of Europe. Um, yeah, we uh, we take groups all over the world. So um, anywhere where it's safe to go, um, where it's reasonable, if it's affordable, affordability is key. You know, especially for a lot of schools that we work with, community college and stuff. So, but we take groups of Central America, South America, um, Asia, um, different parts of Africa, all over Europe. We haven't had any groups in Antarctica yet. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a biology group in the future. But even North America as well. We've started organizing um, domestic programs for for international students as well as as well as domestic students who haven't seen um, a lot of their own country. Like like myself, for example. You know, I moved I moved out of the country when I was 18 years old. So I I know the I know Europe better than I do uh, my own country, the states. So. Um, yeah, and that's exciting too, especially when you incorporate the Native American culture and and that a lot of that history is um, is not told or you know um, those cultural elements are not seen. So it's eye opening for the international students and the domestic students. So yeah, yeah, pretty much everywhere around the world, Australia as well. I can't mention Australia. I, I I share that sentiment, right? I feel I feel like uh, I know yeah. Europe a lot more than I know my own country and. 
you know, they're about the same size, right, in terms of, of land mass. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I need to explore the United States a little bit more. What is, um, you'd mentioned. We always put off what's close to home. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, you'd mentioned that you moved away uh, from from mm-hmm. home. Where, where, where was home in the United States? Right. So I was born in Austin, Texas, and then um, I grew up in Oklahoma City. And um, I moved to Europe when I was uh, 18, but I really, really fell in love with um, with travel when I was 15. I was always I was always fascinated by the international students at the at my high school or middle school because we the, the high school I went to was an art school, so it was very small, but everybody had different majors. So you'd have you know dance majors, art majors, uh, music, visual art, etc. So everybody had uh, some type of talent. I was doing theater. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was it was fun, but um, that they thought that was the perfect place to put the international students. Hmm. And um, I always thought that the uh, the exchange students were more fun and interesting than uh, the kids and um, my fellow pupils. You know, right? Um, so I would always surround myself with um, with the exchange students because I would learn you know words and different languages every day. I would learn about their cultures, and then I was thinking like, hey, this is cool. If we're friends, maybe I can go visit them you know, down the line somewhere. And, uh, there was a very special friend of mine who's, uh, who's uh, still one of my, um, my colleagues, one of my teammates. And, um, he came as an exchange student and, uh, he stayed with one of my best friends, uh, that we, cause we were on the soccer team together. His name was Alessio. So, um, Ale, uh, we became good friends very quickly, he came like a brother. And, uh, he asked me to come to Italy, uh, to visit him when I was, uh, when I was 15. So, I went to Italy and Portugal because his dad worked in Portugal, but then would also go back to Italy. Um, was that just a, we a summer skipping. holiday? Yeah, yeah. It was a winter break holiday. My mom, um, she was very cool in this way that, uh, you know, when I was at home, she was always very controlling. You know, she was always like, no, you need to be home at this time. You know, very, very strict, you know, which I'm thankful for. But um, she did something that was very cool, which uh, a lot of parents didn't do, is that she allowed me to to travel on my own at a young age. So, I mean, she, she allowed me to go to Europe by myself when I was 15, which was really cool and eye opening. And after those two weeks in Europe, um, you know, staying at, uh, Alessio's cousin's house with, you know, no, 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 you know, the grandma and grandpa, like, you know, cutting prosciutto on the living room table and, you know, pouring you're 15 years old and they're pouring you, you know, homemade wine and all this kind of stuff. Like I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is what life is supposed to be like. And there's just so much love, you mm. know, that I, I never really saw in the States. Um, so I realized that was amazing. Perhaps a different pace as well, right? A different pace of life in Europe compared oh, yeah. to what you were experiencing in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, no, no comparison. So after that experience, I was hooked. It was, it was travel is a drug. After that experience, I was like, yeah, I need it more. So um, every summer I would save up and uh, then I would go back every winter break. And I finally decided that I wanted to be an exchange student and have like a long-term um, kind of experience, you know, go abroad for a year, live with host families, do something like that. It sounds like your your first little taste there when you were 15 was a, a mini homestay, right, for about two weeks with uh, Alessio and his family. Um, and you know, I want to get, get to Mm -hmm. this because a lot of, um, you know, later in the conversation, we don't need to dive into it now, but it seems that, you know, a lot of travelers try to seek for the authentic while they're traveling and fail miserably because they, you know, stick to the, the tourist hotspots or whatever. And that's, there's a value in that I understand, but, you know, I want to kind of pick your brain in a little bit about how to kind of dive into having more authentic experiences while traveling. Um, apart from homestay, because, you know, 35 year old man can't necessarily do that <laughs> as easily as an 18 year old man can. But um, yeah, that's great. Did you did you do a homestay when you were 18 and returned to Europe? Yeah, so I was fortunate to um, I was fortunate to uh, kind of be provided or granted a, a rotary scholarship. So I was a rotary um, international exchange student. Excuse me. The way that that works is you uh, you pick three destinations in the world that you would uh, like to be um, that you would like to go stay a year in, and uh, that's like when you're 18 years old and they're asking you, okay, pick three countries where you want to go in the world, and 
you know, at that time, at that age, you're thinking in your head, like, okay, well, you know, this is the only time I'm going to go do this. You know, at least I, for myself, I, I had that, that idea in mind. I thought I was going to come back to the States and do my four years of university in the States and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, that, that, that decision is a tough one. It took me a few months. Okay. You know, I was like, all right, do I want to go to Europe? Do I want to go to South America? It was pretty much between those two. And, um, eventually I, uh, I decided on central Europe because, um, I had very limited funds. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to be able to get the most bang for my buck. Um, and they weren't on the Euro yet. So that was, that was a bonus. And I also wanted to be somewhere where I could visit as many places as possible because you have to remember, like I had the mindset that I have this one year and that's it kind right. of thing. You know, I didn't realize what, what lied ahead. So, um, I, um, I picked uh, Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia and, um, Croatia. And I mean, I don't know. I think, I think most of the, a, a lot of students in the States, if you told them those three countries, they'd be like, where? <laughs> I've heard of Czechoslovakia, you know, but that's, you know, that's long and gone. But, um, yeah, so it was very rare, kind of off the radar, but which made it unique in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even today, if I bump into a, a Slovak person, you should see the look on their face when I speak with them in Slovak language. They're, I mean, it's, but if you if you speak Spanish, for example, and you bump into a Spaniard or somebody from, you know, Peru or wherever, um, it's, you know, many, many, many people speak uh, Spanish, you know, so it's kind of unique that you uh, learned a culture and a, um, a language that's not a, um, a, a common one, right? All right. So you landed in um, Slovakia? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. The, the first year, no. I mean, uh, just the basics, you know, living with host families, like I'm hungry, um, you know, please thank you, some numbers and things like this to be polite. But um, it, it took me, because it's more complicated language, um, it took me a couple of years, but yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite uh, conversational fluent. I wouldn't say fluent, but uh, I have my own style and you can I defend yourself. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With it. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. And so you were, you were in Slovakia for about a year, no? Yeah. 10 months, 10 months and uh, stayed with three different host families. I mean, it was, uh, it was incredible. Um, I mean, there's nothing like it. It pulls you in so many different ways. Uh, it challenges you. Um, I mean, I was the, even the school environment is just so interesting because European schooling and schooling in the States is so different. I mean, these students, they study so much. Basically everything's based on oral exams. So you'll see these students just like cramming for an exam and um, just stuff so much information into their brain. Uh, prior because the professor can ask you anything in the book, you know, and then mm. you need to be able to have a, a, a proper response for it. And if you don't have the proper response, well, then, you know, you're not going to get the um, the score that you want. But then, you know, after the exam, they forget the majority of the information. <laughs> I noticed a lot of differences between, I think uh, in the States, we have a lot more, um, I think our system's more about finding solutions for things, like more creative thinking, more critical thinking kind of um it's a different style completely than how it is in Europe, I think. Hmm. Um, yeah, but that, that could be a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother conversation comparing the two. No, but, you're um, right. There seems to be, well, I don't know. I, I'm in the, as you know, I'm in the education field and comparing the differences between what I see in the United States and abroad, in particular uh, places like France, for instance, you know, there is a kind of, a wide gulf between the quality of education, it seems, um, between yeah. between the two, uh, and there's no perfect system. But it seems to me in France, they uh, they, I guess, want their students to to pick a specialization early on, whereas in the American model has us, you know, dealing with general ed- education and taking all these courses that the students don't care in. So we get a lot of students, at least in my humanities class, who don't want to be there. You know, forget about it after the class. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to see it's the very, differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's very like uh, Europeans or you know, people from different countries around the world are always surprised when they find out that, wow, at one university, you can study all of these different things in one place. Like, because for them, you know, they have, they have different faculties spread out across the city. So this is the law. This is the history, geography. This is the science, you know, and these mm-hmm. are all different 
different small universities spread out in different locations across the city. They don't have it all together in one big, huge, um, uh, mega complex kind of thing, you know, like different colleges here and there that when meshed together comprise a university system, but they're not housed within the same compound. Right. Correct. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, and so, what happened after your your first year and or your first ten months in Slovakia? I mean, did you did the bugs bite you so hard that you just couldn't uh, leave, or what happened yeah, after so that? I, I mm-hmm, yeah, I came back home and um, I uh, I wanted to uh, I, had, I had the most amazing experience, so I was like, okay, I want to go back, you know. And that, there was also a um, I had a Slovak girlfriend at the time as well, so that always makes it um, <laughs> makes it uh, e- easier for you to go back and to move abroad. Um, and I was like, okay, well, uh, I want to go back and I want to start university. And my mom was like, Hey, that's a great idea, but you know, you should really, um, make sure that wherever you study, you know, it's accredited in the States and it's, um, and it's going to transfer back and things like this, you know? So mm-hmm. I found an American university in Bratislava, Slovakia, the capital, um, called city university of Seattle. And, um, I think they had around 13 to 15 international campuses in all different types of countries, uh, Mexico, Bulgaria, Australia, Czech Republic, all over the world. And um, you're able to earn your um, U.S. degree at the same time as well, earning your European degree or whatever country that you're, you know, that you're visiting. And so um, that, that was a that was a that was a good option. It was the only catch was that it was only it was business administration. That was the only is the only option available at the school, which I found a bit boring to be honest. I mean, I love I love running companies. I love uh, coming up with ideas. I'm very entrepreneurial in that way. Um, I mean, we started our first company in Bratislava when we were you know 21. Mm. Um, but uh, I. I thought the managerial style and that was just sucking the life out of me. So uh, I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy school very much, but I, uh, I enjoyed living in Europe very much. The um, the exchange rate was great. I mean, I I paid $3,000 a year um, and that included books. So, I mean, that's kind of unheard of in the States, you know, for a, uh, for a university, Mm. at least it used to be. I don't know if there's any new options that are more affordable, but, yeah, I stayed for another four years um, until 2009. Wow. So it seems like the the university route was kind of the means to the ends there, um, the, the ends being the goal for you to live in, in Europe and to be in Slovakia, I guess, next to mm-hmm. what you wanted to do with your life. Re- yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember I was um, 2009 rolled around and I realized that, you know, with a degree in business administration, the only option is going to be going back to the States and kind of your two weeks of holiday per year kind of job and start from the bottom and climb up, climb up kind of thing, you know? And to be honest, when I thought about that, it made me very depressed. I was like, Oh my God, I might, I might jump out the window if, um, if this is my only option, you know, like two weeks of holiday, like life mm-hmm. is too short for that, you know? And I was very fortunate while I was in Slovakia because, um, you know, I, I did various jobs. One of those was teaching English. Uh, the uh, language school that I worked with, um, they had a, a summer camp program that they ran. And um, the summer camp would basically, we would have uh, 200 campers um, ranging in age from, I want to say, average between 10 and 10 and 16 right there that kind of age you know uh, some some were a couple younger if it was a brother or sister of one of the other campers and uh, they would have like an american style summer camp experience but they would have english lessons in the morning so in the morning we'd wake up we'd uh, go to breakfast together and then we'd have english lessons based on their level they'd go to different instructors and then we would have like different kind of like american style summer camp activities throughout the day so you know okay cool um i'm gonna do uh soccer or we're gonna do capture the flag or we're going to do arts and crafts or, you know, um, et cetera. Right. Mm. And then, um, they would all go to lunch together and then there'd be the afternoon activities and then there'd be the evening activities on and on and on. And, um, that was a really cool experience because, um, I went and did that every summer. And so I was a counselor and then I was promoted to like head counselor. And then, and, um, I was like in charge of a certain part of the camp. And then finally the last year, 
the owner of the camp, his uh, his wife, um, she she became pregnant, and um, she was going to deliver on pretty much the first opening day of camp. And he told me, he said, Christian, if um, if if I run summer camp this summer, my wife will kill me. So uh, I need someone to to fill this role. And um, that was like kind of when I had my first opportunity to uh, lead in that way. So I had 15 um, counselors and you know uh, 200 campers for you know three weeks. And um, after that experience, that was that was in 2009. I, I went to. We used to go down to Croatia for summer. Like when we lived in Slovakia, we'd go down to Croatia because it was so close and so beautiful. It was only a five-hour drive. You'd so have to the beach in Croatia. You'd mm-hmm. have to Sorry, pass. Say, no, I was just going to say you'd you'd have to drive through, I guess, Hungary or Austria uh, before you'd get oh, to yeah. Croatia, yeah. Yeah. or even Slovenia, depending yeah, on which route. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. You got it. Perfect. Yeah, it's cool. You go through like four different countries. Slovenia is beautiful. Um, Austria, Hungary are beautiful as well, but. Um, exactly, exactly. You go through all, all four of those countries and, um, you, um, that's where we used to go. It was cheap. You could camp there all summer. The water's crystal clear. And, um, that was kind of one of the, one of the most unique experiences. Cause I was sitting on the beach and, um, there was, I, w- I was just surrounded by, by Europeans. I, I didn't hear anybody speaking English for, you know, the whole two weeks while I was there. What and beach? I was on the beach and I was like, okay. Yeah, where was it? Yeah, in Croatia, what beach was it like? Split or? Yeah, um, it was it was it was Pog Pog Island, so P A G, um, and I'm staying at a camp resort there. But um, yeah, mm. for all your listeners, Croatia is awesome, and we could definitely give a lot of cool advice and tips for places to go. Thousands of islands, very very cool destination expensive flights to get to but you can do it in a smart way so i guess the biggest uh city closest to pog would be um a city called uh, zadar um if yep. i'm pr- pronouncing yeah, yeah. that correctly exactly you got yeah. it yeah that's... that's exactly where i flew into yeah oh, okay yeah, one, one of the times one of the times we flew into zadar and then um from there you just take a local bus but otherwise you can drive so yeah yeah exactly you got it um but yeah no i was sitting on the beach and i realized uh i said man I really want to share. I, I need to go home because I've been in Europe uh, for a long time. I need to figure out what I want to do next. And um, I don't know. I felt like I need to go home, even though like tuition was very affordable. I had racked up a lot of student loans because I didn't want to work for, even though I had multiple jobs. I didn't like the uh, the the pay. It was you know we were working for about two euros, two euros per hour, right at that mm. time. So. It didn't allow me like the lifestyle that I wanted or, and that's a very humble lifestyle. Right. But, you know, I, I didn't want to be limited um, to not be able to travel and things like this. So I took some private student loans from the infamous Sally May <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she still knocks on my door. Uh, but, good old Sally. Um, we're taking care of old, good old Sally. Exactly. We're taking care of that. But um, yeah, so I thought, you know, I want to give the uh, U S students this same experience that I had. And, um, I want to show them, you know, alternative ways of traveling. I want to show them um, some of the cool things that I've learned along the way. And so I started brainstorming for for about a year. For about a year at that point, I was brainstorming until until I finally um, had it had it down and had like a had like a product, you know. And what is what was that product? So the um, the first. The first uh, program that we um, that we ever um, organized was a. I tried to bring students to uh, to Central Europe um, to have a to have like the three month experience uh, mm-hmm. because they do they do school with trimesters where I was at and um, three months is perfect because you can do it on tourist visa. You don't need a student visa, so you don't have to mess with foreign police, birth certificates, medical exams, any of that. You go for three months, you have a great time, you get your school credits, you go back home. You know that's. Mm. That's an awesome option, but I wasn't affiliated with any um, any schools at that point, right? So um, I was just a kid with an idea, and um, I was twenty five. Yeah, how old was I at that time? Um, Mid twenties. But um, you know, I I wasn't affiliated with any schools. Um, I didn't have any experience on paper, you know. And so um, these, I was I was walking around the University of Oklahoma every day because I moved back home, and I was like, okay, let me see if I can bring this idea to life. And I was walking around the University of Oklahoma every day trying to promote the programs, giving out flyers and stuff like that while working at the airport, driving the shuttle buses. You know, I did that for a few years. And um, 
nobody wanted to go to uh, go to Central Europe. So I was like, ah, oh, damn, okay, I need something. I need something a little bit different. I need something closer to home. That's easy. That's attainable. And um, I was fortunate because um, a good buddy of mine, his mother was teaching Spanish at uh, Oklahoma City Community College. So I said, okay, well, I have a, I have a good friend that's um, that's uh, currently living in Costa Rica. So um, why don't we develop a traveler Spanish um, program uh, to Costa Rica? We'll make it authentic. We'll make it affordable. And, uh, you know, like so affordable, that'll be unresistable. You know, uh, it'll be irresistible. And um, that's when we ran our first program to uh, to Costa Rica. And I went in and I pitched it. <laughs> it was so funny because I had to pitch it in a way that, um, you know, I needed to be able to answer any question that came to me that they would have no fear that I was inexperienced in this certain field, right? Because mm-hmm. I was very experienced in running summer camps. But the way that I thought was like, okay, if I can run a summer camp with 200 campers and 15 counselors, and for sure, I can run a, a a U.S. college group to a foreign country with uh, 15 to 30 travelers and two professors or three professors, right? It's a completely different ball game, man. <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely different ball game. Um, Tell us you know, how. Expectation-wise and things like mm-hmm. this. Yeah. So that's, that was the first place we went to. We took a group to Costa Rica and... Um, it was a, it was a, a max out, max out. It was 30 people on my first trip. I was like, um, oh my God. So how was it a completely different ball game? If I, if you don't mind. No, of course, of course. You know, I think that, um, you know, um, a lot of, you know, fellow Americans or, um, you know, people from the States, they have very high expectations wherever they go. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, we've, I've been running these university and college programs for nearly 10 years now. They, you know, a lot of times they expect, you know, for example, we'll go to a restaurant, you know, they expect food to be on the table within like, you know, five minutes, or they expect the waiter to be there right when you come and sit down and, you know, or they don't, they don't realize um, that things go at a different pace in certain, in certain countries, you know, mm. and, uh, and, and not, not only in certain countries, in the majority of the world, other than in the States, right? I mean, um, so you really have to get people in that mindset prior to the program, or you let them find out the hard way throughout the program, then it's kind of survival of the fittest because at that point, you don't know if they're going to leave happy and they're going to evolve or if they evolve and they say, wow, I mm-hmm. came in, I wasn't expecting it. It was tough, but I left and I've grown so much, which is the majority, right? And that those are the travelers that I absolutely love, right? But you know, you just have you get a lot of entitlement, I should say, right? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, no, I, like, I I feel entitled because I'm from the states, I should have this and this and this and this and this. It's like, well, no, not really. You know, you were lucky that you were born there. That's lot, the only thing. A lot of the good uh study abroad programs in my opinion you know, communicate to the students and they set those expectations early so that students, uh, well, so that the shock of seeing a new culture, right, is mitigated somewhat by, by those conversations early on. Otherwise, you know, this is going to be a really incredibly shocking experience for many of the, the new students uh, abroad. Mm -hmm. It happens every, every, every year, as you, as you know. Oh, there's a few, yeah. And you did that very well, you know. Um Well let's you know, let's you, give people if, if you let if oh yeah, let's, what, sorry. Let's give uh, everybody um uh, a little background here. Um I guess Okay, yeah. Yeah, was it last last year? A colleague last May, of yeah. yeah, last May a colleague of mine and I led a group of students, about twenty of them, to Spain and we utilized your company and uh, you were, we were fortunate enough to have you along with us uh, throughout the duration of that trip. And we tried to, uh, before traveling, set those expectations with our students. And I think it worked out pretty, pretty well. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you let them know, like in that particular program, um, you know, you guys were like, Hey, work, whatever we can do to keep the cost down, we're open for it. And I said, okay, are you guys okay with staying in clean and nice um international youth hostels and you're like absolutely are you guys okay with doing public transportation absolutely i was like are you guys cool and eating restaurants that locals eat in absolutely i was like okay cool we can make your program very affordable um and 
by you showing the pictures to the students of the places that we were going to and having them see like, oh, wow, we're going to be in bunk beds. This is like, this is like summer camp kind of experience <laughs> and not having that be a surprise shock factor to them. I think that, uh, I think that's like the, the, the best thing that anyone can do. So I completely agree with you. Um, kind of, um, you know, letting them know what to expect way in advance and then you'll have happy campers. Right. You've used this word a few times um, already, and I think I have too, um, this this idea or this word authentic. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to touch on that in relation to international programs and international traveling, right? So our programs that we try to, um, I guess, conceptualize and communicate with with y'all is we want them to be a little bit more authentic uh, want them to be more uh, more in touch with the local culture than this kind of this tourist mindset right seeing right. things from afar right. right not kind of crawling out of the american or north american shell while traveling we want to kind of immerse the students and, and travelers into uh, different different cultures so what what are some of the ways in which I guess study abroad association, your company um, tries to ensure authenticity while traveling. Yeah. Great. Um, great question. Basically we want to keep it as authentic as possible. Um, as authentic as the, the school of the professor will allow us to, to bring it. Okay. And what I mean by that is we want to live the life that, um, you know, as much as possible as the local is living. Now, we have to realize that that can mean completely different things based on what region mm-hmm. that you're visiting. You know, if you're, vis- if you're visiting a region and destination that is, um, you know, has extreme poverty, then, you know, we don't want our students to quite experience as authentic as that. However, we can find ways to connect with those communities and actually help those communities um, do something unique. And I'll, I can go into more detail about that, but um, to focus on, I'll, I'll talk about that in a, in a second, but to focus on kind of the ways that we can keep things um, more authentic in, you know, let, let's talk about European, um, you know, destinations. So I don't, I don't want to pick up my group, from the airport in a private coach, okay, in a private coach where I have a microphone and you know all this, and they get in, they're comfortable, and they're seeing a city um, from the windows of the tour bus. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to take my group, and I want to take them directly to the metro. You know, I want to take them to where the or toward the uh, the un- the uh, subway, right, or the underground where the locals are using it. Yeah. My, my number one goal is by day three of my trip, I want my entire group to be a hundred percent comfortable with navigating the city on their own. Yeah. Within reason. Okay. Everybody's going to hop on the wrong line at once or forget to hop off on the wrong stop. But that's where you find the coolest stuff, right? You right. get lost and you're like, Oh, this place is cool. I just discovered a new neighborhood. Wow. Cool. You know what I mean? That's put away the map and just go walk around for a little bit and then open it up and try to find out where you're on the map. You know, mm-hmm. there you go. You learned a new route. So and like, more than that too, skills, right. They, yeah, they learn uh, more than just a new route, right. They, they learn skills, right. Street smarts and, uh, <laughs> totally. and other kind of very valuable, useful skills. Absolutely. I mean, what, what good are our programs if we don't enable our travelers to um, travel on their own? Okay, you know, business speaking-wise, yeah, it's great if we, uh, if we keep them, like, you know, un, unaware so they have to rely on our services year after year after year. But they, 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 come back, they come back and travel with us anyway because we have the best guides. We have the best programs, you know? But the... I, my, my, my passion is to enable them to show them that, Hey, you can do this. And if you learn it here in Paris, or if you learn it here in London, or you learn it here in Tokyo, you can use public transportation anywhere in the world you go, because now you realize that it's an option and that it works. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's transportation. Okay. That's one way to keep it authentic. Let's talk about, uh, food cuisine. Okay. I mean, 
my groups in in Italy, and 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 you'll experience this this coming summer. For for the listeners, um, um, we're going to be J- Jeremy's going to be going to uh, to Italy this coming summer, and he's he's got the best group leader uh, on the planet, Francesco Restuccia, Doctor Francesco Restuccia, by the way. He's got his PhD, so mm-hmm. and he's only he just turned thirty, so. Uh, um, I think you guys might be competitors, no? How old were you when you finished? Uh, I was 34, actually. Okay. Right. He's got you beat by a couple I, years. I had a late but start. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, Francesco's awesome. And uh, so what we do, we don't take our group to go eat in uh, in central Rome. We we hop on the tram and we go 10 stops out of town, 30 minutes out of town. We tell them to do a real authentic Roman uh, you know, Roman restaurant where the waiter's yelling at you, and uh, so like in a in a nice. That's the way they do it in Rome. You know, um, they've got this attitude, which is beautiful. Mm. But um, it's different, you know. And uh, take them out of town. Let's save ten euros on that the cost of food. Let's increase the quality of the meal by ten as well, and let's give them an authentic experience where they're the only um, you know uh, you know foreign group in the restaurant, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't stand, I can't stand to one for myself to be taken advantage of in a, um, where I, I mean, I hate it. It makes me mad for hours, if not days, if I sat down somewhere and I, I ordered food from a place and then it comes out and it's just horrible. And I see that there's no love in it. It's overpriced. I'm just like, this is a tourist trap, you know, mm-hmm. complete, you know, that, that pisses me off for a long time. So I never want my travelers to experience that. I want them to experience the, um, the real deal. I want them to experience authentic, authentic. And we're just talking about Europe here. I mean, for right. example, in Peru, I'll give you an example. What we do in Peru, we take our, we take our group to learn how to make what they call it a pachamanca, which is a, basically an earth barbecue. So you dig a big hole in the ground, you throw a bunch of stones in there, you cover it with wood and you light it on fire for a few hours and you keep laying wood on a wood on a wood until those stones are glowing, you know, orange or, or red and they're super hot. And then you, um, you, uh, basically you, uh, clear the wood, you clear the ash and you place your, your meat, your, uh, roots, your potatoes and all this kind of stuff, um, on, on the stones. And then you cover it with banana leaves, completely cover it with banana leaves. And then you cover it with soil, the dirt that you dug up, you cover it with that. And then you cover it with a big tarp. And, uh, I mean, so we give them anywhere we go, like, um, our number one thing is to engage with the local people as much as possible. So that might be like visiting farms. That might be visiting uh, local um, artisans who produce wine or, um, you know, we might sometimes we even hire like um, family members of our guides, like, you know, their grandmothers to come and teach them how to make pasta by hand. You know nice. what I mean? Mm. Like less commercial, help the community more. Uh, let's grow organically and slowly and, and let's give them something that they're really going to remember. That's another way to keep it authentic accommodation. Um, you know, let's not stay in these hotels where the only experience you have is with the television in the room. Um, you know, let's, let's have them meeting international travelers from around the world. You know, um, let's go to places where other young travelers are staying. I mean, I've had, now I think we because this last year we had two more, but I think we've had five, five or six travelers now who have met their current spouse from because of our program. And what wow. I want to say it's not a spouse. I was they, it wasn't they didn't meet their spouse on within the same group. They met them staying at the place of accommodation. They're from a foreign country. Wow. You know what I mean? Like you never know who you're going to meet, right? So like that's kind of the, these types of. These types of things, you know, and, and expert local guides that we like local, local, local guides everywhere we go. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good information uh, to know, right? To have these these or good connections to have to have these local guides and to be able to tell you uh, what's good, what's authentic, uh, where to go, where to avoid. One of the objectives that um, I like to to try and, and follow is every time we go out to a restaurant to eat. If the menu is in English, or if they have an English menu, then that's a red flag, right? That it's in some ways catered to tourists, or they're accustomed to having tourists. So the the game or the goal would be to find restaurants that don't have menus in in English, right? With the with the assumption here, perhaps wrong, but perhaps right, that's the spot that you want to yeah. try out. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah. I know, I know what you, I know what you mean. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had the same, um, you know, the same thought before as well. And then if it's in multiple languages with flags, you even know, better. You're, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> right? Yeah. Have you ever been to uh, the but, Caribbean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, I've never been to, uh, I've never been to like um, Bahamas or uh, Jamaica, for example. But yeah, I've been on the Caribbean uh, many, many times. Okay. Mainly um, off of central, off of central and uh, South America. Okay. Well, I'm sure it's the same. Uh, it's the same there. But you know, anyone who's ever traveled to that part of the world and others, I'm sure, uh, will know know what we're talking about here when we say that. You know, many of these island nations in the Caribbean have these massive resorts, right, that are catered to international travelers, of course. And, you know, they literally have walls around the resorts. They literally give, you know, wristbands to the people that stay in those resorts. And they literally try to confine them in this very tight space that is completely different from the world outside of those walls, right? And you know as soon as you go beyond those walls then you'll 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 realize that you know the place that you're staying in isn't as it seems and that's where i, I think the beauty personally i think that the beauty of traveling is breaking down those walls or going outside of those walls metaphorically and literally to experience the culture not some kind of prepackaged holiday plan although if that's what you want then you know go for it but I think there's more, personally, there's more value in going beyond the wall, right? Uh, and engaging in kind of the authentic local experience. Yeah. In, in some yeah. ways, yeah, I mean, staying at nice, fancy hotels in Europe, it's in some ways like staying at a resort. Yeah. A hundred, I mean, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And that's just, you know, that, that, that style of travel is just, I mean, that's something that we could talk about for, for hours because it's just, it's a different ball game. You know, some people, they don't want, they don't want to engage with local people. You know, they, they, they're limited on time. You know, they say, Hey, I want the comfort of home, but I want to be able to walk outside of my door and see these famous landmarks that I've, mm-hmm. that I've, um, you know, that I've seen in the books and stuff like this. And that's okay. That's okay. I mean, who, who am I to say that, like, no, that's the wrong way. But I, on the other hand, like, you know, I prefer the alternative. I prefer to engage with um, with people of the world, right? And so um, to do that, you you have to, like you said, you have to step, you have to step beyond those walls, and you have to go in a different. Um, you have to go find the uh, the off the beaten path neighborhoods, and when you do that, you know that magic feeling, like where you walk in some place and people are like, kind of like, "What the hell are you doing here?" Like, like they're just kind of, they're just kind of, and they get so excited. They're like, they're like, "Oh, you're you know a propio americano," you know, you're like, "You're you're you're actual American." What are you what doing are you here? Doing in, <laughs> what what are you doing in Marche, Italy? Nobody comes to Marche, even though it's one of the most fascinating regions of Italy. Nobody comes here. Everybody goes to Tuscany. What the hell are you doing here? You know, or they go to Lazio, you know? So it's like, um, like that's cool. When you, when you have that experience, you're like, you're like, all right, here we go. This is what I want. They're going to show me the real deal. You know, you got, you got mom, you got grandma and you got a third, you, you have the grandchild taking the order. You have mom, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, running stuff. And then you got grandma in the back, making sure everybody's doing everything right. I mean, now, you know, you're in the right spot. Yeah. And those situations often are, you know, you, you referred to this kind of magical feeling that it is, but oftentimes that feeling is also unsettling, right? There's something uh, jostling or there's something uncomfortable about being in those situations. And that's part of the excitement, right? Because, you know, from that uncomfortable feeling that, you know, you're doing something right, or you're experiencing something new and unique and challenging for for, for yourself. And that's, totally. that's the Holy grail of travel in many ways for me. Right. Um, that's what, and I agree with you, brother. That's where the best stories come from. Do you have any? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to share with you one, just like your game that you mentioned earlier with the menu. Like I, ha- I have a game that like, I want you to try like the next time okay. you go on, uh, you know, a, 
a, a non-work related uh, trip, you know, just for your <laughs> own exploration. Um, this is going to be game, good. This game is, this, yeah, yeah, this game is fun. So basically, um, find a local person, like as local as local as you think they're local. Okay. And then, and then go and find out, make sure that they're actually local. And then, um, ask them, say, listen, where would, you know, depending on the day, you know, where would you right now go for breakfast or where would you right now go for lunch or, you know, whatever. Right. And, uh, based on what information they give you, go to that location, go to that place. Right. And then ask the same question to the waiter that comes to your table. Okay. The waiter mm-hmm. that comes to your table or whoever you engage with, and make, because now you know that you ask the local, you're going to go to a local spot. Okay. And then at the same local spot that you go to, they're going to be like, what in the hell are you doing here? And then you're going to get the same quality information from them as you got from the previous person. And then keep following that route and see how it guides you. And you can ask different questions. You know, what are your top five favorite things to do in the city? Boom, 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 right? That's complete insider information. It's so valuable. And then every place you go based on their recommendations Ask the person that you engage with um, a different question and then also show them the advice that you've gotten. And then they'll say, uh, this one, not so much, but this one really good. Yeah, that guy knows what he's talking about. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this is one of the best games to, uh, to play. I, I love to do this when I, when I travel to a new destination because I find that I, I find out so much more and I, and I, I gain so much more information. Um, but I'll give you a short little story about when I did this uh, one time I was in, uh, I was in uh, Czech Republic, but the second biggest city of Czech Republic, um, Brno. Okay. So you got Prague, everybody knows Prague, but then you have Brno, which is a kind of a university city. It's kind of in the and, south, um, southeastern part of, uh, Czechia, right? Yeah. That's what they're calling it now. Can you believe that? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's hysterical. I know. I know. Uh, like, uh, all, all, yeah, yeah. Um, and I have a lot of Slovak and Czech friends and they laugh at that. Um, <laughs> let's but, be proper here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Good job. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we were in Brno and, uh, you know, they make great wine over there. It's in Moravia. So, um, they, they, they produce, uh, they produce nice wine and, uh, we're like, Hey, you know, let's go to a, we, we had per diem. Okay. So we were doing recruitment for a, um, for an American university to bring European students to the States. So they were paying, you know, the daily per diem and it was so cheap there. We we're like, Hey, come on, let's go have a good dinner. We haven't used anything today. And so we we're like, okay, we're going to go out to the vineyards. We're going to find a nice restaurant, blah, 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 blah. Right. So we got some advice from one of the students at the conference and we were on the train. We hopped on the local train. It cost like two euros or uh, 20, 40 Czech crowns. And we're headed out, you know, one hour out of Brno to go to the vineyards. And on the way there, you know, the, the little cabin that we're sitting in, you know, two, two booths, six people, uh, we start making friends with uh, some of the locals. We opened some Czech beers and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we were telling them where we were going. They said, they said, okay, that's good, but there's even better. You need to hop off on this stop. And, um, so <laughs> we hop off on the stop that they, um, that they told us to get off on. And it was the train station was completely empty. There was nobody there. There was just one guy controlling the track, you know, and there's like, like, Oh my God, were those guys playing with us or what the <laughs> heck happened here? And so we realized you have to go to the other side of the station and then there's a stop for the bus. Right. So myself and two other professors were standing there and, um, they, uh, they, <laughs> this guy came up, this young guy, early twenties. Um, he came up to us and he said, Guys, I'm sorry because we were speaking English. He's like, guys, I'm sorry, but what are you doing here? (laughs) 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 Nobody, uh, no foreigner has ever been to this town. What the heck are you doing here? And we're like, hey, we heard that there's really good um, wine and food here, and uh, we're starving. We need to go eat and try some of this great wine. Where can we go? And he was like, "Uh, I I know a place. I'll take you. So um, we hop on the bus. We go to the town, and uh, he's walking us through the town. And he's leading us to an actual restaurant, right? But on the way, he's like, oh, oh, my friend's home, my friend's home. He saw the light was on. He's like, let me let me go talk to him and see if you guys can come down. He he went to go check on his, his friend, and he said, yeah, come, come, come. We went down into like – now, okay, if you're looking at you know Italian or you know French cellars, this might not seem too old. But this was a, this was a wine cellar from uh, – 
from the early 1800s, right? And it was so it was beautiful. Like it was all brick. You go down all the way from the street down the side, and you go inside, and it's a it's a small room with maybe I don't know 15 to 20 barrels of wine, you know. Mm. And so so um, this is all wine that they produce locally, directed from their vineyard in the backyard, you know. And we're sitting there, and the guys uh, they don't speak English. I speak Slovak, so I'm translating in Czech. Czech and Slovak are very similar. It's almost like British English and American English, but there's different words as well. So, um, you know, you can imagine the, you know, kind of some things are lost in translation, but we were having a blast, right? Mm. And so we start trying the different one. It's like, hey, well, you have to try this barrel. We're, like, we're starving, you know, and he's like, we got to try this barrel. And we're sorry. <laughs> they kept going around. And then um, before, you know, before you knew it, like uh, three hours had gone by and we tried all the wine and we, we never ate dinner. You're smashed, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely. And we realized, we realized, holy shit, the last train's going in uh, like soon. So we had to like run back to the train station and we, we barely made the last train and we got back to Brno and we had just like a, you know, a nasty greasy pizza because we didn't eat dinner or whatever (laughs) and um this is one of those unique experiences that i'll remember for my entire life because we went off the beaten path and we trusted the advice that we got from the locals you know yeah yeah that sounds that sounds like one of those experiences that we all you know, wish we would have when we were traveling. And, and, but I'll ask you this because I think this is an an important component. Like you're, you're a very outgoing guy, right? And it just takes a a certain type of uh, personality or attitude to be able to open up and just strike a conversation with a stranger like that. Right. So do you have any, I guess, very often people that are traveling are shy, right? They're shy because they don't want to embarrass themselves trying to speak the local language or they're shy or they're timid or they're cautious or whatever. But how would you recommend that somebody who may be a little timid opens up to a local while traveling? How does one, how would you recommend that one approaches that? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, Yeah. I mean, okay. I think they should find a person that they feel comfortable with approaching, first of all. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, for example, you know, maybe a, let, let's just, I mean, let, let's think, you know, if, if you have, if you have a young traveler, right. A young female traveler. Okay. Um, for 18 from the States, she might not feel comfortable going and talking to a guy in his 20s or 30s from this local country that they're from, you know? Right. She might feel more comfortable going. And the reason I say this is because we have, we, most of our groups are made up or predominantly female. Mm-hmm. And I have different theories why this is, um, but I think it's just because uh, just females are more adventurous. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I think guys are just boring and they don't want to travel. <laughs> I don't know what the heck's the matter with them, but uh and then I think it's the other side as well, that females like the security of the group as well. But I still think it's answer one. I think females are just more fun and they like to they like to explore and travel more. Um, so they might want to approach a, um, you know, like a kind of a, a grandparent figure, for example, you know, like a, a local uh, or, 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 or a female or a local female. For example, I'm, I'm coming up with ideas, right? right? So like. I would, I, my first thing is this, approach somebody that you feel comfortable with approaching, okay? Secondly, don't be nervous that you don't speak their language. Use the best you can, you know? If, it's, if, it's, if you want to say ahoy, which you say hello in Slovak, you know, that's already a big step. Like, try to learn at least the local greeting and then say, I'm so sorry, I don't speak Slovak. <laughs> or I'm so sorry, I don't speak, uh, you know, Portuguese, whatever it is. And then say, do you speak English? And then they're going to, and most of the world will say yes. You know, nowadays, depending on who you approach, but I would say the majority would have survival English, the majority, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even the Italians, which is so surprising, (laughs) based on 15 years ago, that they've come a long way, okay? (laughs) Um, And you could say, you could say, hey, um, no. And then you could say, and and then once you've overcome that, and you realize that you don't have to um, butcher the language and try to speak, which they appreciate. But even like saying hello, please, 
thank you in the local tongue, which is three words. Everybody can learn three words. Okay. It shows a huge sign of respect. Mm, that'll go a hello. long way. And then, yeah, you know, learn learn not only hello, but learn the proper, you know, like the the more formal version. So you could say you could say hola, or you could say buenos dias, you know, or you know, you could say ahoy, or you could say dobri din, you know. So like, learn both versions, ciao or buongiorno, you know what I mean? On and on and on. You, so learn both versions, so that way you can at least come in with respect. Learn how to say thank you. Learn how to say you're welcome. Learn how to say please, and then just apologize that you don't know their language yet, and that you but you're really excited to learn it. And and I think that right there, that's the icebreaker. Mm. Um, another thing you can do, like uh, I, I was in Thailand um, last summer, and wherever I go, if it's a if it's a language I have no idea what's going on, I like to make a cheat sheet. Okay, so. I will ask like these basic phrases, like something like I asked her, like, how do you say the food is really good? And then she told me how to say it. And then I wrote it down, um, you know, phonetically. Right. And then, so everywhere I go, I, everywhere I go, I would, I would have the dish and Thailand, the food's amazing. I would say to the, to the waitress or the chef, I'd be like, the food's really good. And you can't imagine the smile on their face that you just made that small effort to speak their mm-hmm. mother tongue to them. Um, you know, and to give a compliment, right? That goes so long. So that is my, that's my advice to get out of your comfort zone and and to start actually engaging with the local people. They don't expect you to have a conversation with them in their language. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe when you're there year two or year three, but not if you're there for a few days or even a few months. Yeah, I did that. Um, I'm kind of an introvert myself and, you know, I wanted to break out of that introversion that I had wasn't successful in any way, but I, I decided to, to go on a solo adventure for two weeks in Mexico. Right. And that really forced me to get out of my, uh, out of my own head and to, to, to speak to people and just because of the sheer, the sheer loneliness of of traveling alone. I think that might be a, a, a good, a good method to try and, you know, break down those internal barriers that one may have solo travel. Oh, ab- a- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, traveling, um, traveling solo is one of the best things that you can, um, that you can do. Um, I mean, just open to so much you will. Oh, you're gonna, you're people think like people will imagine. Okay. So like, a lot of people will imagine that they travel solo and that they're going to be alone in their room or whatever, but you're, you're, something inside of your body forces you <laughs> to go interact with people. And uh, once you overcome that fear, you leave with so many new friends that a lot of times you would not have met because you always had your like buddy that you were traveling with next to you that you could rely on. You guys talk about the same crap that you've been talking about for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, when I was on the Mexico trip, I had met some some travelers in in a hostel and we still keep in touch. I actually, you know, met up with one one of them for New Year's Eve in Paris. You know, a few years after that, uh, we still we still are in touch and you know, interested in going on adventures again. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That just it does something solo traveling does something to the body that <laughs> other types of traveling uh, don't do. They force you to kind of engage and and reach out and, and make connections. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I and I suggest um I suggest everybody to have um to have that experience at least once, if not regularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well good deal, man. We're getting kind of uh close here to our time and I know we wanted to talk about a lot of other things, but I wanted to respect uh your time. Let's uh let's close this baby out and uh, let me ask you pitch us right like what is it that that you offer and how is it different from say the the large kind of study abroad programs yeah, yeah thank you well and i i hope that that means that we're going to get a chapter two as well like there's going to be like an episode two some somewhere down the line uh, absolutely if, if you if you can if you can squeeze me in somewhere <laughs> I, I i can squeeze you <laughs> wherever you want <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, um, what do we do? Okay. So we do, we do a couple different things. Okay. Um, 
the the first thing that we do is we focus on um, customized faculty-led um, programs around the world. So which means that uh, we'll take a professor and we'll say, you know, what do you teach? And they say, I teach art history. We say, awesome. Um, do you have a destination that you're interested in going to? They say, yes, I want to go to uh, Italy. We say, perfect. What time periods do you want to focus on, et cetera? Boom, boom, boom. How long do you want to be abroad? Is this going to be is this going to be a city stay? Are you going to be staying in one city? Do you want to have a traveling um, a traveling uh, itinerary, et cetera? And what we do is we collect as much information from them in their brain, what seems like the um, best program. And then what we do is we consult our on ground guides, experts, our team members, and we develop something exceptional for them that like flows really nicely, is a perfect balance of everything, and really brings their course to life. So. That's what the Study Abroad Association does, and uh, our programs are the most affordable, authentic, and educational on the market, hands down. Um, and we're currently working with um, over 103 community colleges and universities across the country, ranging from 1,000 or even below 900 students enrollment to over 90,000 students. So uh, we work with every institution imaginable to really craft something. Nothing's turnkey. Everything's made from scratch. Our second project that we do is um, is uh, College Backpackers, which is now becoming Life Break Adventures. As I mentioned earlier, um, I started doing this about 10 years ago. So a lot of the original travelers that are still traveling with us, you know, they've done six trips, seven trips. I think the record's nine trips. Um, they were like, hey, I'm not, I'm not in college anymore. I graduated like five years ago. Why do you guys still have this name? You know, said, hey, that's right. Let's not let's not let's not limit ourselves to that. So, um, we're we're re uh, we're uh, we, we've rebranded and uh, we're going to be launching um, here come probably January first, hopefully if everything moves like it's supposed to. And that'll be Life Break Adventures. So basically, um, authentic, affordable travel around the world open up your eyes in a different way and not only traveling with um, people from the States, but these are international groups. So all of the groups are um, comprised of different um, nationalities, right? So um, it's awesome. And the same, same philosophy as affordable and as authentic as possible, wherever we go. And, um, and yeah, so you guys get like, yeah, I add me on Facebook. Sorry. Or, I, I can just um, interject here for a second and just, um, you know, vouch for, for what you just said. My colleague and I have run study abroad programs for the last few years, and we've used some of the, the major corporations that lead study abroad programs. And we also used your company study abroad, and we were far more happy and pleased with, um, everything about your program than we were with, uh, the, the other, the other corporation I won't mention them by name, but, but we were just so, so pleased and, and happy. Everything was, 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 was great. The on the ground staff, the price, the, uh, the itinerary, everything was just as, as good as it could have uh, been in comparison to the other one. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to see what, what comes of this life break adventures uh, program that you have up and running yeah. What are the socials or the, the websites. Yeah, so study abroad association. So if it's a professor, administrator, or a student, or just anybody that's interested, it's study abroad association, you know, dot com. Mm. We have a Facebook page as well. Uh, College Backpackers is the current one, but that'll be switching to Life Break Adventures. And you can find and the reviews are awesome. We're five stars uh, across the board. But I just I wanted to add one one last thing, Jeremy, if I could. Like kind of the thing that uh, really makes us unique out of out of everything is the fact that everybody that we work with, our internal team, the professors we work with, the guides, everybody, everybody, every from the driver to the restaurants to the homestays, everybody's part of the family, right? So mm-hmm. that that's really that's that's the energy that you felt when you were on the program in Spain, right? It's because like. It was more of like a authentic family experience opposed to being like big corporation, like, okay, tea breaks at one o'clock, you know, so everybody, <laughs> goes to the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, there it's, it's that touch. So, um, but yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited. We're passionate and, uh, I look forward to 
to uh, to traveling with you again soon and catching up with you. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you again, man. So we'll uh, we'll be in touch. And uh, if I don't talk to you before the the end of the new year, well, happy holidays and have a nice new year. Yeah, you too, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. All right, buddy. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All Over the Place. Please consider supporting the show if you find it valuable. You can do this by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app, reviewing it, following me on social media, or by supporting the show directly via Patreon. Links can be found in the show notes and on alloverthepodcast.com. Thanks for your support and farewell. Farewell.